Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Welcome to the Syrupcast, Mobile Syrup's Canadian-focused tech podcast. I'm Patrick O'Rourke, and across the table from me is Brad Bennett, a man who refers to himself as the bad boy of tech. Spicy. Yeah, that's you, the bad boy of tech. But that I affectionately refer to as Mobile Syrup's teen correspondent. Today, we're joined by John Lamont, who's here to talk about all things Surface. And then uh, Brad Shankar is going to show up later in the podcast to talk about his experience with xCloud. How are you guys doing today? So far, so good. I don't know. It's been kind of like a weird week for me, but I, I made it through, made it in, you know. You're halfway through the week. You got two days left. It's not bad. I know. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat. It's been, uh, it's been a weird week. That's both been like slow and also very, very heavy for news. So, yeah, it's just weird. Things are going to be like this until uh, the S20 appears and then MWC as well. So, um, we're in for a bit of a break, which is kind of nice. We have couple topics that we're going to go through on the podcast this week we're going to talk about surface devices john spent a lot of time with those over the last few weeks we're going to talk about chromebooks which isn't exactly a current topic but we have an interesting take on it and then we're going to move into xcloud i think it's a like kind of like an alternative computing front heavy podcast i'll talk about that term alternative computing eventually and how much i hate it (laughs) so john i guess to start things off you've been using all the new surfaces uh, that is correct. I was reviewing the new Surface Pro 7, which is the Microsoft tablet slash Windows laptop, all-in-one, two-in-one, whatever you want to call it, as well as the new Surface Laptop 3, but the bigger 15-inch version with the AMD processor. And of course, the exciting new Surface Pro X, which uses an ARM processor for the first time, I believe, since the first Surface RT. So if I'm rocking a Surface Pro 6 right now, should I go pick up the new one? No. If you're rocking a Surface Pro 6, uh, there's not anything that the Pro 7 really does that's worth an upgrade. It's got a slightly faster Intel 10th gen processor. It's got USB-C. Those are great upgrades, but not enough to make the jump from a Surface Pro 6. What about upgrading to the Surface Pro X then? Also not really worth the upgrade in my mind right now. The biggest problem with the Pro X is that it's very expensive for what's essentially an experimental device from Microsoft. Um, Because it's the first Windows device in a long time that's using an ARM processor, and the big difference with ARM versus a traditional Intel or AMD processor is that ARM is not x86. So most Windows apps are designed to work with x86, Intel and AMD processors, not ARM processors. So there's a lot of compatibility issues, but for the apps that do run on ARM, 
they run really, really well. Does it emulate standard Windows apps? It does, but there are some limitations with that emulation. So the biggest thing is um, it can emulate uh, 32-bit uh, x86 apps. So anything that's 32-bit should work, but maybe not as efficient. For example, I was able to use an older version of Photoshop and it worked fine, but I had a couple weird crashes and some graphical glitches and stuff like that. It was just slower than it should be. That's my next question. Like, so there's certain apps that I use all the time for work and we'll get into this when we talk about alternative computing and Chrome OS and stuff. Ooh. But, <laughs> but um, if I were to pick up the Surface Pro X and I wanted to install, for example, Chrome, is there a native ARM version of Chrome? Uh, no, it would emulate the 32-bit version 32 of bit. Chrome, so your performance probably wouldn't be very good. The flip side to that is you could use Microsoft's new Edge browser, which is based on Chromium, the same open source foundation that Google Chrome is based off of. And ARM-based Chromium Edge actually works really, really well, like way better than it has any right to work. And I know you alluded to this before, but what about something like, I don't know, Adobe's suite? So like Photoshop, Premiere, Lightroom, those are the apps that I find myself using the most. Are those emulated or are there native versions? Um, it's a bit of a mixed bag. There are, I think there's one uh, native ARM one. I don't remember what it's called. I think it's like Adobe Fresco or Fresno or something like that. They showed it off. It's at, a painting one? Yeah, they yeah. showed it off at the event. Uh, mainly for the Surface Pen support um, would be the biggest thing. Um, but all your traditional Adobe apps like Photoshop, Photoshop is emulated, but only if you use the 32-bit version. You can't use the 64-bit version, which is any Photoshop CC after 2018. So you have to use the 2018 version if you want it to work at all. Which is okay. Unless... It's, it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. But performance-wise, it's not great. I'm, um, I have this like joke in my head where like when you're talking about Chrome before running Chrome on the Surface Pro X must be similar to running it on uh, a MacBook Pro. Probably, yeah. <laughs> like just as resource intensive. That's great. Yeah. So what about the Surface Laptop 3? Um, I was a big fan of the original Surface Laptop. I actually have one. Um, I sort of use it as my main Windows device. I haven't used the two. Um and like I edited your review, so I know your opinion on the three. Um, but I, I used to view the Surface Laptop as like, if you're a Mac user and you use a MacBook Pro um, or a MacBook Air and you're just tired of Apple's ecosystem, you're tired of the expensive price tags, you don't want to deal with the butterfly keyboard. Who knows when that scissor switch keyboard is going to finally come to the MacBook Pro and you yeah. want to jump to Windows. Can the Surface Laptop kind of fill that gap? Yes, and also no. So, I don't know. The Surface Laptop is a weird beast. I think it's a really good computer. It's probably one of the best designed Windows computers that you can get. Might be one um, of the best designed computers, period. Yeah, like it's it's super thin. It's really light. It's just a very, very nice device. That 3-2 aspect ratio is fantastic. There's a 15-inch now too, right? Yeah, there is a 15-inch as well. Um, and we'll get to that in a moment. So there's a lot of good with the the Surface laptops, um, and they are very comparable in you know style to a MacBook. So somebody who is used to using a MacBook would probably feel comfortable on a Surface device once they get used to kind of the quirks of Windows. The biggest issue with the Surface Laptop 3 is the 15-inch version, and that's because Microsoft decided to go AMD 
The 13-inch version still uses Intel processors. It's the new 10th gen Intel processors, so that's fine. The AMD processors in the bigger one are not great. So they're more comparable with 8th gen Intel processors. So, so how many generations back is that? Uh, about two. Because okay. the Intel did a weird thing where like its 9th gen chips and its 10th gen chips are kind of the same, but the 9th gen is primarily for desktop devices. Got it. Um, and 10th gen is for portable computers. So yeah, it's kind of, it's like one, one and a half generations behind then the Ryzen processors and performance wise, they did not do well, which is kind of weird because the 15 inch laptop kind of fits the bill as a creative machine, like for a semi-professional, you know, working on the go, doing Photoshop, video editing, stuff like that. That's, those are the things that are really going to benefit from the bigger display. And the AMD processor just does not hold up in those applications. And you had a ton of issues with them too. Like I know Microsoft sent over a couple a uh, couple versions of the the laptops and two in ones. And also you had you had like a huge note explaining it all in your um, hands on. Yeah, uh, for the full details, definitely check out the hands on for that because that's got all the details you need to know. But in short, the first. Um, the first two Surface Laptop 3s that Microsoft sent over for the review and the first Surface Pro 7 they sent over for the review both had significant crashing issues that basically prevented me from using them as they're intended to be used. Um, I think using them at all. Like some of them were just in boot loops for a yeah, while. Yeah, well, that was the Surface Pro 7 was okay. in a boot loop completely after the first or second crash. It just wouldn't start up anymore. So I still don't really know what happened there. Microsoft isn't really sure. But the only devices that seemed to be affected by it were the ones that we got um, at Mobile Syrup. Other people that I've talked to, other reviews that I've read, nobody else really seemed to have the issues. So I'm not totally sure what happened there. But yeah, it didn't really brighten up my experience with the Surface devices. So if you had to pick one of, I don't know, I guess this is the 2019 lineup actually, of Microsoft's 2019 lineup of Surface devices, which one would you recommend someone buy surface laptop three but the 13 inch version or if you can manage to get hold of an intel 15 inch version do that they do make them they're just very hard to get because they're for enterprise use oh so okay for regular people it'd be hard to get one but if you could that would be be the way to go is there a 13 inch that doesn't feature alcantara yeah yeah okay yeah they changed that up this year as well alcantara is only on specific models so if you don't want it it's pretty easy to avoid. I like that. Like, I'm an Alcantara, man. I think it's cool. But I do, like, I don't know if either of you have been to a, a Microsoft store recently and, like, looked at the display units that they have. You can yeah. really see how much grease and, like, grime and whatever gets stuck in it. So, I mean, like, I use my laptop all the time. I use it while I'm eating. I'm sure that if I only used a Surface device and that's, like, what I was using all day, every day, it would look like a disaster. You might want to get a matter of time. Is there a navy blue one? Yeah, I think there's like you a probably want to go with a darker color. Yeah, Alcantara wise, I think because yeah. yeah, like the last thing you want is like a soup stain on your palm rest. So bad, or yeah, even like grease, awful. like just like typing on a keyboard, like your fingers are greasy. Whatever, you get it all over the Alcantara. I, I we should think mention it looks that cool. the keys aren't covered in Alcantara. Although that would be an interesting feeling. That'd if be cool. were, that would be an interesting. Be like feeling. petting the computer every time you were typing. <laughs> speaking speaking of keyboards, Microsoft did make a small but also kind of significant adjustment to their keyboard. It's the same fundamental keyboard as it's always been but the keycaps at least on the 15 inch version are like slightly domed 
Interesting. Like, but like inverted domes. Does that result in cushier like typing? Yeah, it felt okay. really nice, but it was kind of weird to get used to because mm. most keyboards that we use are like flat, Yeah. at least on a laptop. Yeah. And these were like convex or whatever the right word is for that. I can't think of it. Not the one. actual keys though, like the caps underneath is what you're saying, yeah. right? Yeah. That kind of reminds me of the um, the new scissor switch, that the new quote unquote scissor switch that's featured in the 16 inch MacBook Pro. I remember I, I only used it for like 15 hours or something like that, but I remember thinking that I liked it, but it was also a little strange and it took some getting used to. Yeah. So I think that's all about the service devices. Do we want to talk? What's that word? Fut- alternative alternative computing. Yeah, I think so. I think we kind of have been in like a little alternative computing zone with John doing certainly the Surface tablets. Um, I reviewed the Samsung Galaxy Tab S6 the other day, which is like Samsung's tablet, but very much geared towards like you can work on this thing because of Dex and this keyboard attachment that costs way too much money, plus Chromebooks and you've done the iPad Pros. And we're in this space now where everybody seems to be making some sort of alternative computer device and every time we review one it kind of boils down to us being like the hardware is great i love this i wish i could use it but i can't because it's not actually a real computer that's every ipad pro review that i have ever written and i think i've reviewed three generations of ipad pros every every single time my headline is like a different take on it's almost there it's almost there it's so close interestingly where i feel with chromebooks too sorry yeah microsoft's surface devices are not in that camp they're they actually run full desktop windows Mm -hmm. so with the exception of the pro x which has some limitations due to its arm processor surface devices are the tablet alternative computer that actually functions as a full-fledged computer how well do they function as a tablet because the pro x and the pro 7 are big boys yeah not great as tablets, but I would argue that if you're looking for an alternative computer that can be a tablet, you'd rather have something that can do all of the computer stuff and then be mm-hmm. a tablet as a secondary device than a primary tablet that can sort of do computer stuff as the secondary device. But the price makes that one hard to justify for me. If I'm going to be spending that much, is it worth the extra? Or Because you, you've said before they're pretty much the exact same cost as a laptop, right? When you buy the keyboard yeah, attachment. Yeah, once you and, factor in the keyboard attachment and everything, you're still looking at probably the same cost that you'd put down for a Surface Laptop 3. Mm-hmm. So probably twelve to $1,500. So if we were to rank them, I guess, maybe this is a good way to like quantify it in terms of alternative computing experiences. We're saying number one would be the Surface Pro device, not the Pro X? Yeah, I would I would make that argument. Okay. Um, what's number two? You know, does the iPad Pro sneak into that category or does the Chromebook? I mean, I, I'm a huge fan of the Pixelbook. Mm-hmm. I wish there was a Pixelbook too. I know there's the Pixelbook Go, but it kind of serves a different purpose. I, I still don't understand how Google positions it as entry level when it's like insanely expensive. It's like a very Apple thing to do. Mm-hmm. But the Pixelbook, the regular Pixelbook, which is pretty old at this point, remains one of my favorite pieces of hardware of the last five years super solid incredibly well made has like some little things that i really like like the uh is it four three screen as well right four three aspect ratio three two three, three two, two. Oh, okay. think, maybe and the screen i believe that's what it is and it, the screen flips all the way around so you can turn it into a tablet as well which is nice mm-hmm. one of my favorite things about it is the just in terms of hardware is the fact that the palm rests are rubberized and they're raised above the keyboard mm. so one of the things that i always find with laptops um, that 
like I guess frustrates me about them and something that I don't think any manufacturer really pays attention to um, is the fact that if you happen to put your laptop in a backpack or a bag that has a lot of stuff in it, the keyboard gets squished into the screen. Over time, that will leave indents in the screen, potentially damaged depending on what laptop it is. That's not an issue with um, the Pixel Book in particular because it has like this little tiny space because of those covers. But I, oh, I right. yeah, okay. Now I see where you're going with that. That would be super nice. It's it, it's like a very subtle thing that I don't see people talk about a lot, and I don't think it's something that manufacturers even really think about. Um, and I was disappointed that the Pixelbook Go doesn't really have the same thing. I'm hoping that a Pixelbook 2 comes along. But again, I really like the hardware, but I still feel limited by Chrome OS in a variety of ways. Mm-hmm. Like, I love that it's lightweight. I love that it's snappy. I live in a Google Chrome world, despite the fact that I keep saying I'm going to switch to Firefox or another browser. It just makes things easy for me. I can log in and I get access to everything that I need to do my job or to just hang out on the internet. But the thing that it is always the missing link for me is um, Adobe suite of software. And I know that's on Chrome OS now, but they're, to my understanding, ports of the mobile apps. Yeah, they are. Which make them feel... Oh, it's incredibly limited. Like, I mean, we just can't... They're off. Yeah. Like, there's just something off about them. Like moving the dials, You I, so many times when I was using... Um, the pixel book is my main computer. I, I couldn't see, like, I'm trying to turn down the highlights in a picture and you can't see what it's at. You just have to guess because it doesn't show the number, like just little things. Like if Adobe would port its stuff natively to Chrome OS, I would hundred percent put Chrome OS as my like second favorite operating system or my like key alternative computing device. But I, I just can't. So Adobe is in the process of porting over some of its apps to ios or ipad yes. ipad os i guess as we as we call it now do you think that gives it the boost for us i think i have to clarify for us or for other people that use adobe because that's not everyone but do you think that gives it the boost over chrome os is the adobe suite and having creative tools because for they, me everything does everything else like word processing you can do across the board on any device yep the Adobe suite is much, the creative suites in general are much harder to pin down. For me personally, that's the missing, like I said, like that's the missing link. So I give like iPad OS the advantage in that space. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, that's that's how what I want out of a device. My mom, I lent her the Pixelbook Go that I have. She loves it. It does everything that she needs it to do. Yeah. She's not editing stuff in Adobe, right? She's talking to me on Facebook. She's uploading pictures to Google Photos. She's doing very simple, basic, things yeah um but then again like she wouldn't she doesn't need a pixel book to do that she could get any chrome os based even a ipad probably yeah mm-hmm. she could also do that with an like, with an ipad both my parents are ipad only people one of the entry-level ipads is a good option for that kind of thing too exactly um i would make the argument that adobe support on ipad will not be the thing that makes ipad the perfect alt alternative computer because ipad os is still not a desktop os it's missing some key features it's gotten a lot better but i still feel like it's missing some key features like mouse support and stuff like that that just doesn't make it a viable contender i'm glad you provoked me because this is where i i'm hoping we could go but i don't think the mouse and keyboard is the way forward so i did the review on the samsung galaxy tab s6 which has a keyboard attachment samsung dex samsung dex uses a mouse it's also a tablet. It opens up tablet apps. Tablet apps are designed for touch interface. So on the keyboard attachment, there's a trackpad. 
using those touch apps with a trackpad is a huge lesson in patience and frustration because the way you interact with things by touching them, which we do all the time on our phone, is way different than you do through a keyboard and a mouse. So like double clicking, right clicking, those things are like touch and hold and you know, swipe up or shake on your phone or whatever. There are all these different ways to interact with a tablet or a phone with your fingertips than you do with your mouse and keyboard. And I think those ways are fine, but they don't translate well to mouse and keyboard. But if you just get rid of the mouse and keyboard, you kind of live in that touch only world and you learn it and it becomes much easier. Um, The example being like when I'm using the mouse and keyboard attachment on the Samsung tab, it's like set up in a laptop with the keyboard flat on the table and the screen up on an angle. And it's this weird gymnastic routine between the keyboard and touching the screen and pop, 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 up and down, jumping all over the place like a crazy person that's typing. And it's, it's not easy. It's not fun. It's convoluted. It's weird. It's backwards. When I just put the tablet flat on the table and I type on the on-screen keyboard and my fingers are already on the screen, everything becomes so much more seamless and being able to like interact with the screen while you're just there and you're doing it all, it just becomes... It makes a lot more sense. It's weird because this hybrid zone we're trying to hit, it's like Apple's the only one that's really taking it in a very unique direction as opposed to everyone else trying to marry laptops and tablets together as opposed to Apple trying to be like, no, this is a tablet. It works as well as a laptop. It just does it differently. So I think that's the zone that I'm going to fall into. I kind of feel the same way when I use the iPad Pro. With the keyboard? Yeah, with the keyboard attachment, whether it's like the horrible Apple smart keyboard or... Like I have the massive bridge one that basically turns it into um, a MacBook Pro. It looks like yeah. a MacBook Pro anyways. Um, there's this weird disconnect between like typing on the keyboard, then reaching forwards and touching the screen. And it's the same disconnect that I feel when I use, um, like I know that Windows 10, you can interact with it um, with with a touchscreen if you have a touchscreen laptop. Chrome OS too. Chrome OS as well, yeah, of course. Um, I, I always feel like there's a disconnect when you're like going from using tactile buttons to like swiping on a screen and it's never quite meshed with me but i say that and then i think about someone like my mom who like when i watch her use her windows laptop it like blows my mind she does she she, touches the screen she goes from typing to touching the screen to typing to touching the screen and it looks incredibly natural and she's an older person so i've always been fascinated by her ability to do that so i think in some ways that disconnect might just be like uh, i'm very set in my ways i have this very specific workflow when you change that workflow it's really hard for me to kind of adapt to it whereas someone um for other people that that's an easier easier process perhaps yeah, that's something that I recall Microsoft talked a little bit about that um, at their Surface event, how important it was to have touch on all of their Surface devices because of that very thing where you can go from typing to interacting with the screen by touching it. You don't necessarily have to fiddle around with a mouse. Um, and yeah, for me, I'm, I'm with you, Pat. Like That's kind of a weird disconnect and it doesn't really make a lot of sense. I'd rather just use a mouse. But for a lot of people, being able to just touch the screen and do something that way is a lot easier than using a mouse. Um, yeah, I guess that's true. I mean, it's just, I don't know. The the two together don't make as much sense to me. Like, this is a pretty, like, I don't know how it works on Windows. Like, how, how do you touch and select type on Windows? I don't know. I've never tried. I just use the mouse because okay. I know the mouse and it is reliable to me. What do you mean type? Like, like a text, a body of text. So when mm-hmm. I was doing the Samsung. You like highlighted. It. It's weird. 
it, it works, but it's like, for me, it's not intuitive, but I've like coming back to my mom as the example, like I've watched her do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's this thing with like touch where I think some people find it more intuitive. Mm-hmm. I'd be interested to watch children use these devices and see what they like if they navigate more towards touch or type or or, mar- or marrying the two like your mom does because i mean like that's probably where things are going right this whole generation behind us is even the generation that i guess i'm kind of a part of we've had touchscreen devices since we were young and is that where things are going because that's what we're used to like i wouldn't be surprised i have a cousin who's like 12 and if she spent like the rest of her life on an ipad that would not surprise me at all i think there's going to be a lot of people like that um as we move forward like by the time that she hits university or or after that you would dream that um ipads and chrome os and other touch-based things will have app support that we've been harping about for years because that's like what i don't know she's 12 like that's like four or five six years Mm -hmm. from now so yeah, maybe it'll change, but yeah, right now it's just like this weird mess and, and it's unclear where it needs to go. I think that's a good place to wrap that part of the pod up. Next up, we have the hottest news of the week. All right, so hottest news of the week. Let's kick it off with Byte. Vine is back, baby. Vine co-creator Dom Hoffman finally released Byte, the successor to the popular short-looping video platform, purchased and later shut down by Twitter. However, Byte's return may be short-lived, as it enters a new social app climate dominated by TikTok, another short-looping video platform. I don't... So, man, I, I made a TikTok somewhat recently, not to create content for it, but because I'm fascinated by the platform, like I, I always find myself somehow, like if I'm, it's like late on a Friday night and I'm, I'm bored, I somehow end up on YouTube watching TikTok compilations of people just doing crazy creative things on it. So I wanted to like skip the middleman and, and watch stuff, um, I guess, directly on the platform. But I still find it like I understand that the for you section in TikTok is like kind of curated by the profiles that you click on and who you start watching. Um, but for me, that's unlike any other social media platform that I've ever used because it automatically curates that for you, but it requires you doing manual things to make that automatic curation happen. Kind of like how Spotify works. Yeah. And in, in the same, exactly. Yeah. In the same way as Spotify. So like I, as far as I'm concerned, TikTok is like crazy popular right now. I think Byte's like three years too late. Yeah. Honestly, if Byte had come out closer to when Vine was big, it probably would have done a lot better. I loved I, Vine. I think it would it would do better. Um, yeah, I love Vine as well. And I've kind of avoided TikTok just because it hasn't really interested me, even though it is very similar in concept to Vine. I, I downloaded Vite and I've been using it um, for, I don't know, the last week or so since it's come out. And the biggest issue I've noticed so far is people just keep reposting their TikToks on there. Yeah, so, so it doesn't no way. Huh. Yeah. yeah, so like 50% of the videos are reposted TikToks and like the other 50% are people complaining that people keep reposting TikToks. <laughs> That's awesome. And what a great online platform. <laughs> if that is how it stays, I don't think it's got a big future ahead of it. I don't think it has a big It, it can't. I mean, There's TikTok no is big and these apps like this, like Vine before it, like Snapchat, like Instagram, 
these things start with the teens and the teens are TikToking, you know, like it's, <laughs> yeah, it's well, over. I, I blame Twitter. Twitter did this to Vine. Vine was great. If Vine would have stayed around, I think my life would have been different. Yeah, I would have been living in a house with David Dobrik and Jason Nash and people would have thought it was funny, but instead here I am. And I blame that on Twitter. I blame that specifically on Jack Dorsey. Yeah. 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 I, Let's just lay the corpse of Vine at his feet. This is yeah. His, this is his doing. They they bought it because they were like, this short form video is going to compete against our short form tweets, and we can't have this. Whereas only one short form game in town. We're the big dogs, and TikTok came and said, "No way, no way, no way." And no it way. bite. I don't know who let this. What's his? He says his name is Dom. Dom Hoffman. Yeah, I don't know who told Dom Hoffman this was a good idea. But they lied to him, and I feel bad. I don't know. They're, it's like kind of convoluted. He was working on Byte for a while, and then he like stopped, and then he decided to come back to it. And how did it take so long? It's Vine, it but released, it looks a little differently. It was released in beta at one point too. But like, if you yeah. are, if Vine was already made, if you already made Vine, because well, you know how to make this app. I think he basically remade Vine. He did basically yeah. exactly. That's what I mean. Like, why? How and how did it? Why did it take years? You already made the app. It was made. It was out. People were using it. You made it once. It's like me, someone coming over, like, "Oh, Brad, have you made lasagna before?" I'm like, "Yes." Can you make it again? I'll be like, "Yes." And then it takes you five years. And then it it. takes me five years, and I come out with something that's like a little different. They're like, "Oh, what do you do?" I was like, "Oh, I use a different type of cheese." (laughs) And they're like, "Oh, oh, interesting." So what's the deal? Why did it take so long? What's the deal with the Rogers subsidies, John? All right. Uh, that is the next topic. So Rogers has ended its device subsidies after confirming plans to scrap those subsidies earlier this month. The carrier is moving on to offering only device financing, and that's starting January 28th, which I believe is after or before this podcast was recorded. Um, device financing is a significant shift in how Canadian carriers handle device pricing, and Rogers' change leaves Bell as the last of the big three to offer subsidized pricing. And the main difference is subsidized pricing offers phones for a lower upfront cost and customers pay back the difference as part of their monthly plan. Device financing, however, takes the full cost of a phone and splits it into 24 equal monthly payments that customers pay back as a separate fee from their monthly service plan. So Um, if I'm going to go out and buy a phone from Rogers, that just means that I have one less option for doing so. Exactly. Which... Um, up top sounds like it sucks, but there are some benefits and there are some drawbacks. The main benefit that Rogers is kind of touting, and I agree with them on this, is that device device financing is way more transparent because it separates I agree. the monthly service. You, you know what you're paying. Yeah, you know what you're paying. You look at your bill and you say, okay, I'm paying you know, $75 for my monthly plan and I'm paying $50 a month for my device. And also, at the end of your 24-month contract, the device financing fee drops off your bill. That's something that did not happen with subsidies unless you were with Kudo. That is good. It's probably good for uh, subscriber retention. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's hugely good. And we'll see how it goes. My hope is that that also means that your plan does not determine whether or not you're able to buy a new phone. Hmm. Because that was something that happened a lot with device subsidies is you'd go in to get a new phone and they'd say, oh, your plan is too old. It doesn't work. You have to get one of the new plans because the plans include the cost of the phone. Short term, it does look like subsidies will increase the monthly amount that customers are going to spend. Um, sorry, financing increases the monthly amount that customers spend. So, you know, the base plan that most carriers offer now is $75 a month for 10 gigs of data. And depending on which phone you get, you could be paying as much as $50 a month on top of that, which is about $115 off the top of my head. Whereas subsidy plans kind of cost you have that upfront a little payment. bit less. Yeah. And Bell's the only carrier that hasn't adopted a similar thing, right? Yeah, they offer both device subsidy and device financing plans. So you can compare them both and pick the one that works best for you, which is good. So Rogers is actually testing something through Fido, or I, I'm assuming they're testing something, but the financing through Fido, which is launching later, February something, I believe. Um, Fifth. February 5th is capped at $800. So if the phone costs more than $800, you pay an upfront cost. So you get the iPhone, it's say $1,000 for the sake of this being easy math for me. It's $1,000. Fido caps it at $800 that you can finance. So you have to pay $200 upfront oh. for the phone. And that will obviously go up depending on if the phone is more than a thousand, less than a thousand, go under. If the phone costs less than eight hundred dollars, it will you will only finance like the six hundred dollars that it costs or whatever. But that way, it's sort of like a mix of the two. That that is very interesting. Rogers, um, their current options are very limited. You, if you're getting a phone from Rogers, you have three options. You either buy it without financing, so you just buy the whole thing up front. Which we would never recommend buying a phone directly from a carrier because they're always way more expensive than buying it from the manufacturer themselves. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that that's a very good point. Always compare prices against the manufacturer because I guarantee you, you're going to pay more if you buy it direct from the carrier. Um, so yeah, you can either buy it direct from the carrier out, outright, full price, or you can get it on device financing, or you can get it with Upfront Edge, which is Roger's weird program where you save a little bit of money on the phone but then you have to give it back to them at the end of your contract or pay that money that you saved to keep the phone. Those are always terrible. Yeah, I absolutely. Um, other carriers do not do that. Um, they give you a little bit more flexibility. Uh, Telus, I believe, lets you pick you know, an upfront amount. So if you don't want to finance the whole thing, you can pay, depending on the phone, a certain amount upfront um, and the rest goes on financing. So it's kind of weird that Rogers is so limited in that way, um, but hopefully that's something that changes in the future. I have one sort of horror story, Black Mirror, telecom thing related to this. So they're switching to financing. Yes. From other industries, we know that financing at 0% is great. When yes. financing is not at 0%, it is terrible. Do you think in two years, once financing becomes normalized and cell phone plans, they start charging interest on the financing over the two years? maybe yeah i don't know I, I think they do i feel like that would go against some sort of crtc regulation and if they did start doing it and it caused a problem the crtc would probably do something to stop it i would hope so i don't know it, that one kind of remains to be seen that's just i don't know i don't trust the carriers unfortunately sorry guys but <laughs> they're yeah. all they're all listening they're like, oh man sorry mr Ro ted sorry ted rogers um is Brad, that, why doesn't Brad trust us? Why doesn't Brad trust us? Well, because you've screwed me in multiple Canadians in the past. And that's yeah. that's right. That's where I'm afraid financing is going because 
the carriers have to make money. They have to make more and more money at each shareholder meeting. And how do they make more and more money? It's charging interest on these phone plans that they're selling. Yeah, this Simple. is this is definitely about ARPU or average average revenue per user, um, which basically is just how much they make off of their users. Yeah, exactly. Um, Subscribers. Because if you do the math on it, financing and subsidies works out to you're paying about the same. If you take the same phones on the same plan tier, um, you pay the same amount at the end of your two-year contract. Um, just subsidies put makes that monthly cost a little bit higher, which makes the ARPU higher. So what's the deal with the Z Flip? Well, that's actually a really good question for you, Pat, but I will give a brief <laughs> summary. Samsung has several devices coming up, uh, and they just keep on leaking. We talked about the S20 series last week on the pod, I believe. This week, we're going to talk about the Galaxy Z Flip, which is the South Korean company's upcoming foldable device. That is not the Galaxy Fold. This one folds like a clamshell, like a traditional flip phone. It does not fold like a book, like the Galaxy Fold. The other real big difference, according to recent leaks and renders that came out this week, is that the Z Flip is going to have a glass screen, which is significantly different from the Galaxy Fold or Motorola's nostalgic Razer phone, which is also a clamshell folding device, which both use plastic displays. I am fully on the Z Flip bandwagon now. I'm hyped for this phone. As soon as they said it was glass, like a, like I, I had a Galaxy Fold for a brief period of time before Samsung took it away from me. And that was one of my biggest issues. Well, there's many issues with it, but that the screen felt cheap. Um, yeah. If this is glass on paper, it should feel better. I obviously need to see it and try it, but that has me extremely interested in it. I also think that the form factor, the kind of like clamshell design, at least as far as my purposes of a phone, um, is far more compelling than the, the horizontal flip to the Galaxy Fold feature. Oh yeah, uh, I completely agree with that. My major experience with a foldable device is playing around with Motorola's Razer. And I thought that the clamshell form factor made a lot more sense in terms of how most people use their phones. Razer's a plastic screen, right? It is a plastic screen. Okay. And one of the things that I found really interesting about the Razer is the way that they designed the screen is it almost kind of like bubbles inward. So it doesn't, it's not like a crease. Like if you fold a piece of paper, there's like that hard 90 degree crease. It's like a, there's like almost like a circle. So there's almost like a bit of slack in the screen. So when it's fully folded out, there's a bit of a bump yeah. where it folds. That's the same with the fold. Yeah. Um, so I'm interested to see what is different with the, the Z flip and how they do it with the glass because I can't I can't see there not being a bump like there's got to be plastic or something gonna there be something. somewhere because glass doesn't bend like that I think my big takeaway because I've, I've written a lot of the Z flip leaks this week is that it seems far more like a phone that I actually want to use than an experiment which is what the Galaxy Fold was yeah like the Galaxy Fold was really cool I'm so glad I didn't have to do a review of it because it would be incredibly hard to review. It's obviously an achievement in technology. We've been writing about foldable phones for years, or I have anyways. So seeing one in person was incredibly cool, and it's hard not to be impressed and excited by that. But I couldn't recommend anyone buy that thing. It just wasn't a good smartphone. It didn't do no. the things that we, in, in, in some cases, it didn't do the things that we expect from modern smartphones and there's a lot of like sure you get a foldable screen but like tons of other issues um with yeah. the device including like the size and how chunky it was dust getting in it yeah dust getting in it the the galaxy z flip looks cute 
I like the color. I like the form factor, at, at least in terms of these leaks. Like, obviously, we need to try it. But after seeing these renders, the leaked renders, I'm excited about it. Yeah, uh, I'm in the same boat. The last thing I kind of wanted to talk about with the Z Flip is the price. I don't know if there's been any price information that's Oh, it's going to cost... It's going to be like financing a car. Yeah. So that's kind of the interesting thing because the Galaxy Fold, super, super expensive, like $2,600 yeah. Canadian I or thought the like Flip that. is supposed to be cheaper. The it's, Flip is supposed to be cheaper. Yeah, but not... But is it going to be Razor cheap? Because the Razor, we have not received Canadian pricing, but based on the U.S. pricing, I'd expect the Motorola Razor to be around 1500 Canadian, is give or take cheap? a little bit. Is cheap the right word for this? Uh, it's cheap compared to the Galaxy <laughs> Fold. It is not cheap compared to most phones. It's also in line with like the high, high-end smartphones with like tricked-out yeah. um, uh, storage, like the highest-end iPhone 11 Pro Max or... Um, no 10 plus no 10 plus like that kind of thing it's yeah. not like in a league of its own it's still in that like this phone costs way too much money but people are still buying it kind of area yeah so that's that's what i think is the biggest thing with the the z flip because if it's not significantly more than the razor i think it's going to be very compelling because the razor does not have the newest specs whereas the z flip is supposed to have an 855 plus and you know a nicer screen and, and glass screen and stuff like that so if the price is right, I think the Z Flip is going to be the compelling clamshell foldable device of the year. I want this phone. Come on down. <laughs> All right. Now John is going to take off. And when Farewell. we return, Brad Shanker will be here to talk about xCloud. All right, so we're back and we're here with Brad Shankar, who did all of our xCloud coverage this week. I believe xCloud's been available in the US for quite a while, but only just came to Canada, is that correct? Uh, yeah, thanks for having me. In October, Microsoft brought the xCloud preview to the US, the UK, and Korea. And then in November at XO19, they were telling us that they had plans to bring it to Canada, but they didn't have a specific timeline for when that would happen. And then, yeah, it just opened to Canadians today. So what, like, I've used it, so I know what the experience is like, but just for the benefit of the Syracast listeners, what... What has your experience been like with xCloud? And do you want to just kind of like explain what it is for people that don't know? Because I like I, I know everyone at this table right now understands xCloud and we know how it works and we know that it's a game streaming service. We're all geniuses. <laughs> We're all geniuses. But that concept, like if I were to explain it to um, like my brother who doesn't game much, it's a little abstract in a way. Difference between it and console streaming, too, is something yeah, I'm yeah, explaining. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, so just the gist of it is it's Microsoft's game streaming service. Uh, of course, Microsoft has an extensive lineup of Azure cloud servicer, uh, servers rather around the world, uh, which it's leveraging for this service. Uh, so the idea is you can stream games to your mobile devices. Currently, it's only Android. They're... They hope to add support for iOS and other devices in the future, but for the purposes of the preview now, it's just Android. Uh, but yeah, it kind of works similarly to Stadia, uh, if you're familiar with that, Google's game streaming service. So yeah, it just uses the cloud and it streams games to your phone, uh, so you don't have to run it natively. So you can have, in theory, you know, bigger budget AAA kind of games like Halo 5, Gears 5, uh, Devil May Cry 5, etc. Any game with a 5 in the title, you're playing it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I X didn't even think five. of that. Yeah, um, yeah, and, and, and kind of like what uh, the other Brad was mentioning, they do have a console streaming feature, which there's an important distinction <laughs> to make because that 
you need to have an Xbox One to stream to your Android devices. So that's so the Xbox One acts as the server in that case. Whereas, and with that, you can use all the games that you own. But with xCloud, uh, that's you don't need a console, but it's a predetermined uh, set of games. So there's a number of things that we still don't know about it yet, right? Like pricing. We have no idea how that's going to work. We don't know when it's coming to other platforms as well, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's only Android. But they did say that it's coming to iOS eventually. Yeah, like they even... Um, I'm pretty sure I played it on an iPhone actually at, on, at E3. So it's like they are like testing on it internally uh they just not other than like at those specific events i don't think they've public they're not publicly offering the the trials uh but yeah we don't we don't know pricing that's the biggest question right now they say it's going to launch officially like later this year but we don't know exactly if that's going to be like in canada and the u.s at first or are they going to do it in a staggered uh rollout as well are there any hints of how it's going to be priced because like I, I i you put a bunch we published a bunch of xcloud stories that brad put together um so you can find them on mobile serve i'm doing like an opinion thing that's going to go up later this week um it actually might be up by the time you listen to this podcast but one of my things that i really like about xcloud and brad bennett and i were talking about this as you were coming into the room is just that there's like there's actually games that we want to play on it and i feel like that yeah. was something that was missing with stadia absolutely and also even if there's games that like i don't like i'm not super into and like i'm not incredibly excited about playing i might try them just because they're there and they're free whereas with stadia i have to like pay for the service and then pay for each game individually mm-hmm. expensive games. which it can get very dollar games can get very very expensive is there any like indication at all from microsoft regarding what approach they're taking is it going to be like a netflix of games or is it going to be more the stadia thing where you're buying like access to the platform and then getting games sort of mm-hmm. piecemeal yeah i mean i asked them kind of because one of the big things is they're going to integrate game pass into the service so uh game pass of course is the closest thing we kind of have to netflix for games just in the sense that not the streaming angle but the idea that you have a catalog of more than 100 games that new games come every month and you just pay a one-time or a monthly subscription. And to then you access have access them. to them. Yeah, so the idea that they're going to bring Game Pass into xCloud makes it seem that, like, yeah, you're already paying for Game Pass, so in theory you shouldn't be paying anything extra for xCloud. But we don't know for sure. Like, there's no... It's not clear if there's a larger subscription that they have planned. Like, maybe Game Pass that. Ultimate right now yeah. is, like, sixty ninety nine Canadian, and that comes with Game Pass for PC, console, and Xbox Live Gold. Like, who's to say maybe they bump that price up to... I don't know five extra dollars, and that includes X Cloud or something like that. Like we don't, I'd we don't know. That. I had a hundred percent pay. That. Oh yeah, hundred uh, percent. But just the fact that they said games that you own will be available on X Cloud already makes it more enticing than Stadia, where you have to you start from like ground zero and have to buy everything. I mean, you get a few free games a month with Stadia Pro, but it's it's not on the same level. Uh, yeah. And like you mentioned, the big thing with the preview is you can try all this for free. That's one of the major problems with Stadia is that. Like I was fortunate enough to go to like E3 or Gamescom and you know try it there, but like no one in Canada had like a, a regular means of trying it out. There was no free public trial. There was no demo event you could go to or like Toronto or anything like that. So you kind of had to pay like 170 bucks to get in on day one and then buy the games. Whereas Game uh, X Cloud, you know, you have all those games to try for free. And like you said, there's so many games available. Like there's more than 80 games in preview right now, which is four times the amount of games that stadia has it's just a beta and it's it's it is a beta and it's a great mix of you know exclusive games like we said halo and gears you got hellblade forza 
but also a lot of great third-party games as well, like Devil May Cry, uh, Civilization, which is a strategy game. Awesome. You know, Devil May Cry is an action game. Forza Racing. So it's a great variety of games. Like there's something there for everyone. Yeah, it's it's wild. I mean, it's exciting. Uh, I don't know what else to say. Like, it's I was on this podcast before defending Stadia, and I maybe take back <laughs> a lot of that now. You know, like Game Pass or yeah, not Game Pass. X Cloud is here, and I'm just like I got so. One thing I guess that I should mention from my perspective is once the registration went live last Wednesday, I signed up immediately and it went live for everyone today, which is the 29th so of January. People, yeah, some people should be getting into it at this point. And I got into it immediately. Yeah, like, and it was awesome. like my uh, my friend Andrew, who, you know, he yeah, interned yeah, yeah. here, uh, he got invited as well um, and he registered on the date open. So yeah, people are getting their invites. Yeah, they're not being stingy with it. It, it was seems. one of those moments where like, uh, and I've been doing this a while, so I don't get these very often anymore i think the last time was probably when i when the switch was released it was like a very much like a wow this is incredibly cool um i was like sitting there at union station waiting for my go train because i'd missed the previous one connected to union station's wi-fi didn't think that it was gonna work because i don't know how fast that connection was i didn't run a speed test didn't have the time to do so um booted up the master chief collection started playing like a single player level of halo one on my phone with an xbox controller mounted to uh with an xbox controller with a pixel 4 mounted to it sitting there just playing this game waiting to catch my train like that's that's mind-blowing crazy if you took that back in time and showed that to 14 year old patrick in grade nine who loved the original halo combat evolved like saying that this many years later you would be able to play that on your phone streamed over the internet with an xbox controller like that it's just on another level like it's crazy when you think about it in that context and the cool thing is uh, i mentioned it in my hands-on but they're because microsoft has got this large ecosystem of gaming and they're kind of integrating it all together they've brought like the xbox live ecosystem into xcloud so when you boot it up it's the xbox dashboard that you know from the consoles you have your friends list you have your achievements you have like I was playing Halo online and there was this one first grader yelling at me as I was chasing it with a battle rifle. And I'm like, this is quintessentially the Xbox experience, right? Like who hasn't had a kid yell at them online? Uh, and the fact that you can do that, uh, in this case, you could use the mic on your phone. I think some people found a way to use like a wired headset. Um, I haven't tried that I'm, myself. I'm going to try to use my AirPods Pro yeah. with the Pixel 4 and see what happens. Well, and your uh, game saves carry over too. So like I booted up Devil, um, I booted up Gears 5 and because I beat the campaign, it had all four acts unlocked and I could just play the last chapter, which is really cool. Another thing we noticed today when we were just testing out in the office is Patrick was playing Forza while listening to Spotify from his phone app for Spotify. Oh, so like nice. Forza sounds were playing, Spotify music was playing and it was like, oh, this is great. So you can listen to music while you play the games that like allow you to listen to music while you're playing them and like you know that's a great mix of things mm-hmm. i think that there are i don't want i don't want to bring down the enthusiasm but there were some things that i personally encountered during the brief time that i've used it that like they're not ruining like it's still a beta mm-hmm. but things that i think are worth mentioning the console streaming where you're streaming games from your actual console your console turns on at home then that mm-hmm. game is streamed over the internet 
I think still needs a little bit of work. I have a pretty solid internet connection at home and I haven't been able to get it to work, whether on LTE or the office internet or on another internet connection in a way that I think I would describe the games as playable. Mm -hmm. Um, Like you guys saw me trying to play Assassin's Creed Odyssey and it was like a pixelated (laughs) mess. There was like six pixels total on the screen. And then like I reset my modem and did a few other things just to make sure that it wasn't my fault, right? Uh, So I think... It I'm, did shine through for like five minutes. It did. Minutes. It did work for a little bit. So it was pretty interesting that it, it was hit or miss. I mean, that's one of the things that I'm particularly excited about is the console streaming, just because I know that not every game is going to hit xCloud that I uh, that I want to play. Uh, I know that it's part of xCloud. Sorry. Not every game is going to like hit that other side of the service where you're just streaming games, mm-hmm. not from your console. So I'm hoping that Microsoft also puts effort into improving that. But I know there's a lot more variables at play there. There's like the device that you're using. There's your internet connection that you're streaming to. There's the internet connection that your Xbox is connecting to. Like there's a lot of stuff happening that they kind of need to iron out. We can probably assume that the next gen Xboxes will have Wi-Fi 6, which would increase stability and speed of Xbox Wi-Fi. Yeah, I don't know. So maybe that would be like a huge... I mean, we haven't seen anything, but you would have to imagine they're putting the latest Wi-Fi technology into it. We've seen the back of the Xbox Series X. It has an HDMI port. Get get hype. The Xbox fridge. The Xbox fridge. Um, And then I guess the other thing is um, when I was using the console streaming, I did have issues with syncing my saves. My Call of Duty save um, got corrupted. I have no idea if I can get it back. Don't really care because I haven't played that game that much. It's not a big deal, but it's something of note, right? Um, I've also been playing a fair amount of Wreckfest, which is kind of like this Destruction Derby-inspired game. Um, and my save file just kind of disappeared. Like it reverted like an hour that I played. So I think it, it's an incredibly impressive beta, but it's it's certainly not perfect by any stretch of the imagination yeah and there were times where it would take a while to like boot up a game uh like one thing i will say for stadia is like it was pretty quick and you know uh, that is one of the benefits of streaming in general is just you know no updates in theory you know you just start the game and you're playing the up-to-date version you can just get right into it uh and i did have some connectivity issues mostly when i tried playing over data uh, just as like a proof of concept um but also just there are a few times that it, you know it dipped here and there, and and if you're playing like a an online game or like I was playing uh, Tekken Seven and it dipped quite a bit, and you know with a fighting game it's very precise with like the frame rate and everything. So in instances like that, it can be a, quite disruptive. But um, for the most part, I mean, I think it worked very smoothly. I tried to play Halo Five over data while on the Go train, and it wasn't even like Halo Five single player; it was Halo Five multiplayer, and it like. I was amazed because it worked for a while. Like I was going through a couple stops and it was working, but there's like, because it's on a train, there's dead uh-huh. stops where your phone just, dead zones where your phone just loses connection. Then it would like drop the game and then I would get back in. Um, but there was like this glimmer of hope that like my dream of being able to play Xbox on my commute home the entire time could be a possibility. Um, and I mean that it's also started to kind of, like I, I know 5G is a thing. I know 5G is coming, but for me there's, there's never really been like a reason for 5G to exist. Like faster internet's great. And now it's for gaming. And now in my mind, <laughs> it's for gaming. So it's gaming and getting my parents faster internet in, in the middle of nowhere. So That's, you can game there. Yeah. So I can I mean, game there, right? It's that all, was, it all comes back to gaming. That was the biggest answer they gave me because I interviewed the two leads on xCloud and they were telling me, like I asked them, how are you going to serve, you know, uh, like the rural areas of countries like Canada? Because, you know, there's a lot of them. Um, and a big thing they were saying was 5G, how they're expecting it to improve with that. But I think ultimately what's smart 
about their approach is how staggered it is. Like, you know, they, they said to me, like, you know, it's not about doing it fast. It's about getting it right. So, you know, that's why they're limited devices to start starting in certain countries and then rolling out um, very, you know, insistent on getting feedback. There's a feedback tab right in the middle of the app. Uh, and just positioning this as, you know, it's it's early. Like, they've been very clear, like, head of Xbox, Phil Spencer, has been very clear, like, this is not going to take over your main way of gaming. Like, you know, if you still want, like, a local high-quality native play, like, you have an Xbox One, you have Xbox One X, uh, you have coming up, you know, the new Xbox, uh, you have a PC. So this is just kind of meant to complement it, which I think is a smart approach, whereas Stadia is just kind of this is the way you're going to be gaming it without considering that, you know, a lot of other people want other methods as well. No, we're running out of time. Just one quick oh. thing. So X, the weirdest thing about Stadia versus xCloud to me is Stadia is only available on like certain Pixel phones and xCloud is available on like almost all Android phones, which just seems super weird. That's all I have to say. I wish you could add it to uh, like one of the things that I found is I want to be able to play it on a TV. Yeah, in Stadia's defense, you can play it on a TV yes. via Chromecast or in, on a laptop via a Chrome browser. So that's but, what I hope comes next. Xbox. It'll probably come to Xboxes. Oh, for sure. Not. Again, knowing that it's a preview, it's it's hard to be too critical on it because it is early, whereas Stadia was an official launch and was lacking a lot of things. So. Fair enough. So I think that's a good place to wrap up the xCloud chatter. Let's jump to our next segment. This is where we talk about what we've been playing in terms of video games. I can start it off because it's not something that I haven't already talked about on the podcast before. I'm still playing Stardew Valley, still building out that farm. Um, I tweet about it sometimes. There's some like hard J real journalists that like to make fun of my farm. I take that very seriously and I send them pictures of my cows and how many hearts they have. And death threats definitely not death threats um but i got a lot of chickens i got a lot of cows uh my farm's slowly progressing and beyond that i've been playing Wreckfest, which i mentioned during this podcast it's like uh there's a game that i played as a kid on pc called destruction derby i think it was also on ps1 it's a racing game where you just smash cars i think uh, it was in the playstation classic yes it was yeah. actually and that was one of the only reasons i was excited <laughs> for the playstation classic this is very much a reimagining of that it's great it reminds me of how much fun it is to just play a racing game where it's not serious and you're just smashing the crap out of other vehicles uh yeah that's all i got what about you guys uh yeah i i really didn't like star wars so i've been kind of the new star wars movie so i've been kind of having a sci-fi itch so i've gone back and replaying the mass effect trilogy uh made here at, here in uh canada in edmonton from bioware I haven't played that series in a while. It's just so good. Um, I wish EA made a new one that was good because Andromeda was not. And people have been wanting a remaster of that trilogy for so long. And there have been rumors about it, but EA is kind of like, yeah, we don't really like to do remasters. And it's like, this is the one thing people are asking you for. So I've been playing that. And then the new Smash Bros. update came out earlier this week. So Byleth from Fire Emblem Three Houses came and a skin from Cuphead with music, another Canadian game, which is just awesome. How does the skin work? Because it's not an actual character. Yeah, so one of the fighters in Smash is a me character. So okay. you can create like a me sword fighter, a me brawler, or a me gunner. And you can use like your me that you created like of yourself. Or you can they can introduce outfits from other franchises. Like they just added Altair from Assassin's Creed. He's an outfit. Oh, that's cool. Mega Man outfits and Cuphead. So you can add a skin. So it's he plays the same as the other me fighters. Though they do... 
a little little attention to detail like when they when the cuphead me gunner shoots he shoots with his like finger which is how cuphead shoots uh, the gun so little things like that and then just one of the songs from the game because that game has a fantastic jazz soundtrack is included in smash as well nice so. rapid fire down my list is i've also been playing stardew valley i will be stopping to play xcloud now that i'm into that but <laughs> nice. mostly i've just been watching the movies that are up for oscars lately so i haven't been gaming a lot i've been trying to get through those as that as that reaches up so that's kind of where my nights have been going what are you gonna play in xcloud like what are the games you're interested in um i don't know i mean forza because i love forza but with any sort of lag that game becomes really difficult to play i might try kingdom come deliverance because i never really played yeah, that I'm and i don't want to download that. that huge file so i just want to stream it <laughs> that's um, on game pass too i believe yeah but I don't want to download that file. I don't have the space in my Xbox. Um, External hard drive, yeah. I know, I know. I have to delete it to put video stuff for work on, and it's been a sad day. But, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. I don't know. I'll have to look more into it, but I think that that's where I'm I'm leaning. Nice. Uh, So thanks for listening to the Syrupcast. Be sure to drop us a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps us with the rankings of the show. You'll also notice that, yet again, we're trying something a little different. You're hearing more voices from the mobile syrup staff uh, on the podcast. Let us know if you like that. That's something that I think we're going to continue doing in the future. We also have a few other ideas and maybe some changes to some of the segments that you'll see over the next couple of weeks. Uh, So, yeah, hit us up on Twitter. Let us know what you think of the Refresh podcast. You can find me on Twitter at at Patrick underscore O'Rourke and, of course, on mobilesyrup.com. Brad, where can people find you? Uh, also mobile syrup and my personal Twitter, Brad Shankar, B-R-A-D-S-H-A-N-K-A-R. And Brad, where can people find you? <laughs> you can find me everywhere, including Byte at the Brad Fad. Let me, do you actually have a Byte? Yeah, it's oh at the, I literally downloaded it once it came out and oh I, I got, God. I scored that username. I have it on Byte and Stadia. Those are my two recent additions to the, the Brad Fad club. I'm going to make you make a mobile syrup Byte. No. Where you just review <laughs> Android <laughs> updates exclusively. Oh man. Uh, I struggle with Instagram so much. I can't do it. I can't do bite. Um, and then, of course, you can find all of our content on mobilesurp.com. There's a lot of things that we talked about on the podcast today. Uh, that There's features up on the site, including um, Brad Shankar's various xCloud stories. I'll have an xCloud thing up later. There's a lot of things that Brad's going to be... Other Brad is going to be publishing in the John's, next... John Surface stuff. John Surface stuff. Uh, there's a few things that Other Brad wrote about Chrome OS that we're going to see. I think you're reviewing a Chromebook right now. Yeah, like a, a super cheap one. It's nice. exciting stuff. So there's going to be a lot of stuff that we talked about on the pod on the actual website. Um, and you can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at, at Mobile Syrup. Thanks for listening. Hi, my name is Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic, and I'm excited to talk to you about Club Med. Club Med operates beach and mountain resorts and is the best all-inclusive getaway for families. They have Club Med Punta Cana, their flagship family resort, and many other options in Mexico, the Caribbean, and around the world. Club Med are the pioneers of the all-inclusive concept, which is the best way to vacation. Great for families, groups, or even solo travelers looking for land and water sports, delicious food and a place to make unforgettable memories. Visit clubmed.us, call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor.